Secure Financial Advisors, a registered investment advisor. This show does not intend to provide personalized investment advice through this broadcast and does not represent that the securities or services discussed are suitable for any investor. Investors are advised not to rely on any information contained in the broadcast in the process of making a full informed investment decision. This is your money, your wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMV. Now, here's Joe Anderson and Big Al Clopine. Good morning, everyone. <laughs> this show is called Your Money, Your Wealth. And I just can't wait for another episode of our show. <laughs> oh, boy. All right. So, Joey Anderson here, certified financial planner, Big Al Clopine, next to me, uh, talking finances over the next couple of hours. Thanks for tuning in. You can catch us on the web at purefinancial.com. A lot of things in the news about the DOL. Yeah, Department of Labor. You know, on Wednesday, Joe, they came out uh, with the basically the new law that uh, advisors are going to have to follow. It was a little weak. It, they watered it down. Big time. Yeah. And, and of course, it can still be fought by the, by the industry. And, and I guess they're, what, from what I understand, is they're digesting it, the industry uh, being the brokerage industry. because and insurance industry. Yeah, insurance. Because this is really intended more for those people that, that are not using a fiduciary standard, which is a big, long word. And basically, all it means is- You got to put your client's interest first. Yeah. I mean, that seems common like- Common sense. Common sense, right? But most of the industry, the brokerage community, as well as insurance agents, they don't live under that standard. It's suitability. As long as something is suitable for you, I can, I can sell it to you. Does it have to be in your best interest? No, it doesn't. Right. And then in insurance, it's like they're agents to the the, the company. So they're the allegiances to the company, not to the client. Right. So they can't be fiduciaries. Yeah, just now, by definition. Well, yeah. <laughs> right? Now, I mean, how screwed up is that? We, we talk about this all the time. And, and the truth is there is a lot of good brokers out there. There's a lot of good insurance agents, You know, maybe even the majority. I don't, I don't really know. But anyway, there's also a lot that maybe are selling products that maybe they shouldn't be selling because they're high commission. And so this will change that, at least for 401ks and IRAs. But it's not, really, not going to be effective for another year. Yeah, but it doesn't really affect it. All they have to do is there's just a little bit more disclosure. Correct. Yeah, because originally it was going to be, well, you can't sell variable annuities anymore because we can't think of a situation where that would make sense. And now it's like, no, as long as you disclose right, what you're doing. Right, the best interest contract. Right, and it's, it's a little deeper than that, but that's that's kind of in essence. And so I, I think a lot of the proponents of a fiduciary standard, which we are certainly supportive of, I mean, that just seems common sense. We're a little disappointed because it's, it's, it is so watered down, but at least it's a step in the right direction. Yeah, with our firm, we act as a fiduciary 100% of the time and where it gets a little bit clouded in our industry is that there's fee-based advisors right that act as a fiduciary but then also then start selling product and then they act um uh, yeah. As uh, you know, or, or they're under the suitability arrangement. Yeah. They, where they, the client doesn't necessarily know, so they'll ask the right question. Maybe, hey, are you you a fiduciary? Yeah, of course I'm a fiduciary. And then all of a sudden, you know, halfway through the meeting, they switch hats, and now they're not necessarily acting as yeah, a fiduciary. Yeah, I got I got this non-traded wreath that looks really good. Sure, or whatever commission what, product what, it whatever is. Whatever it is, and those, by the way, tend to have pretty high commissions. And and so if you're if you truly are a fiduciary, then you're not allowed to sell any of those products. It, it's a conflict of interest, or can be anyway. Sure, I mean. It's not you're not allowed. You just you wouldn't because it's not in the well. Best I wasn't going to go that deep, but yeah, I mean, I do agree with you. So. I mean, if if you're really putting the client's interest first, would you sell them some of this stuff? And Maybe not. Not likely. Maybe not. So anyway, so that's um, stay tuned for that. We'll dive in a little bit deeper in the weeks to come as soon as it there's a little bit more clarity. I think it was like what 1,200 pages that came out on Wednesday. 
Um, with our firm, it's like we're, we were pretty excited about it um, all along because we've, um, when we from the foundation, you know, we've said let's put the fiduciary standard up front to make sure that you know our clients' interests are absolutely the first and foremost and only interest that we basically look at when we're recommending any type of um, financial planning needs. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't realize that. I mean, people assume that everyone. Sure, that's I mean, in the yeah, industry. they get you know you, you go through and you introduce the company and just like all right, well, we act as a fiduciary. Okay, yeah, that what, makes yeah, sense. Okay, yeah, of course. Well, what the heck does that I'm, mean? Yeah, well, we put your needs first. Well, well sure, well, of I course. So. I mean, uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> yeah, right. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be surprised. Yeah, right. That's that's the thing, and and I think there will be um, people will probably understand this more as this issue becomes more public because it, like I said, it's it's been uh, in the in the financial news for financial planners and advisors and insurance people. It's been going on for quite some time. But Wednesday is when they actually announced the new law, which is law. Now it can be challenged, and maybe changed. it could be changed. But right now, as it stands, it is law, and it's effective to take place uh, a year from now, April. 2017. Yeah, and then some other stuff is January 1st, the 18th, um, 2018. So there's still some time. Yeah. But um, yeah, stay tuned. We'll have more information as we get more privy to it. Um, You know, we can share some more information with you. But today, a couple of things I have. Last week, Advisor Insights, Alan. Yes. This was a big, big week last week. (laughs) They they sent me these emails about um, you know, all these different questions that people have about their personal finance. Right. right. And they, they want you to answer them so they can... What do they... Do they publish them or what do they do? The answers or do they just send them back to the person? <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> I, I have no idea. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, one, one or the other. Yeah. Investopedia. I think it's... They go to... It's oh, they go to Investopedia. So it is, it is published on the web then. I think so. Yeah. I, I don't know. I just answer the questions. I just do what I'm told, Alan. <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't go any further from there. Okay. Um, but there was that. a lot of interesting questions. So lo and behold, we answered all those, and uh, yet another um, bag full. Another group. Yeah, another group today. So I want to go through some of those because a lot of questions that people have, you know, other people have the same exact question, and so you can kind of relate a little bit um, to someone else's. Um, questions so we can answer those and then we can get into habits that you should have to reach financial independence right that's always that's key. a good one yeah i think so um and then so i got a whole u.s news we got seven habits to help you reach financial independence there's some of them that i agree with some of them that are kind of hokey um then there's 15 crucial steps alan yeah they, those are the big ones those the are, yeah well ones. so i mean is it seven or 15 i don't know <laughs> Um, so well, there's, all you got to do is throw a number out in front I know, of something, and then people read it. People read it. Must it's a good list. And if, if you get an article without a number on it, it's like, well, it's not. Must not be that good. They really couldn't come up with the things. <laughs> right. And then the date today's the ninth. So you have what about nine days um, to file your taxes? April eighteenth. April eighteenth. A lot of people don't know that. April eighteenth is tax day this year. And so there's deadlines there. So if you want to do an IRA contribution, Roth IRA contributions, um, you still have some time uh, to make sure that you get those contributions in for 2015. Uh, so the clock is ticking now. A couple of other things that we'll mention today, Social Security, that clock is ticking as well in regards to file and suspend. Um, so there's some claiming strategies at the end of this month is going away. Uh, so if you are full retirement age, there's some things that you might want to consider there as well. Should you file for your benefits, then suspend them. Um, so there's some pros and cons to that, which we can discuss. I would say there's more pros than cons, um, but it depends on some insurance. Because as soon as you claim for benefits, even though you suspend them, 
uh, then you are enrolled for Medicare. And uh, so there could be some issues there depending on what you want to do with insurance. Like if you have a um, highly deductible plan in a HSA, then you can no longer contribute to that. So there's, there's pros and cons to it. So we can dive in maybe um, a segment or half a segment. We spent a couple of shows talking about that. We did a webinar, and you can go to purefinancial.com if you'd like to watch that webinar on the new uh, Social Security rules. Uh, so some different claiming strategies that are going away. So a hodgepodge, once again, of things that we have in store for you today. But financial independence is um, really what we want to focus on because I think it doesn't necessarily matter how old you are, how much money that you have. I read something that this this gentleman uh, reached financial independence at age 28. All right, we'll be back in just a second. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson, certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He's a CPA. Thanks for tuning in. Go to purefinancial.com. A lot of information on that website at purefinancial.com. Now, I got a few questions here, Al, that we can tackle. We can bust this thing out here in a few minutes. Okay. What do you got? All right. So let's see. I am a truck driver. I want to start small by investing 1000 to 1500 bucks. I'm 40 years old. I don't even know where to start. How do I start investing for the long term? What do you think there, Big Al? That's a good question. Truck driver, 40 years old. It sounds like he had has no savings at this point. But probably wants, just starting, right? Wants, wants to get started, yeah. So truck driver, I assume he's probably independent contractor, wouldn't you say? Could be. Yeah, could be. But so, if he's looking at 1000 1500 bucks a year, I would say open up a Roth IRA and stick the 1000 yeah. or 1500 bucks if you want to look for a long-term investment. However, with a Roth deal... Um, there's characteristics of that Roth IRA where if he would need that money prior to 59 and a half, yeah. he could always have access to the principal. Yeah, that's true. So at 40 years old, you can do $5,500 into a Roth IRA. As long as you have earned income, whether it's salary or self-employment income, you can put that in. Now, you don't get a tax deduction, but here's what you do get. All future income and growth and principal is tax-free as long as you wait till 59 and a half. But all principal, you can pull out anytime you want, tax-free, next day. And there's, Joe, there's all these five-year rules and five-year clocks. And when it comes to contributions, it doesn't apply. In other words, if you put in $5,500 this month and emergency happens next month and you need it, you can pull it out, no tax, no penalty. Now, certainly if that $5,500 grew to 5600 if you pull that extra $100 out, yeah, you got to pay taxes and penalty on that, but not on the basis. Do you have your HP with you? No, Do I you don't. have that app on your phone? I do. Yeah. Well, let's. We're gonna have Al do some calculations okay. for this gentleman. Yeah. So, is this? I, I wasn't listening closely enough. Is that per month or is that annually? I'm guessing annually. He okay. wants to start small by investing a thousand and fifteen hundred bucks. Okay. So, so let's see if he goes fifteen hundred bucks a year. We'll say that annually, right? Forty for the next twenty-five years. So we're going to sixty-five. Well, let's go. Yeah. All right. We'll start there. Yeah. Sixty-five, and then let's say over that many years, I'm guessing. Let's go. What seven percent? I think seven's a good number. All right. And what is okay. he going to have? Uh, let's see. He's going to have almost a hundred grand. Hundred thousand bucks. All yeah. right. So he needs to save probably a little bit more. Probably a little more. Yeah. But that would give him about four thousand dollars a year on top of his social security. So maybe his social security, you know, with inflation, twenty five years, call it thirty grand. So now he's at thirty five thousand bucks. Yeah. So give or take. Now. Uh, and, and it's completely scalable. So let's say it's $3,000 instead of the 1500 and then it's going to be close to a couple hundred thousand. Actually, 190000 is right. what it came out to be. So so 3000 a year, so that's le- that's $250 a month. 
And I think most people, if they really think about it, they can figure out a way to, to, to not spend 250 bucks a What's month. What's 250 divided by 30? Going by day, mm-hmm. okay. So that's about eight dollars a day. Eight bucks a day. That's lunch. Yeah. Right? So make your, make your own lunch. Make your peanut butter <laughs> jelly PBJ. sandwich. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say that. Alrighty. Okay. So next question here we got is when is the best time to purchase my first home? Before or after the 2016 election? I'm in the market for my first home here in California. Would there be a major difference in real estate prices when a Republican or a Democrat? takes the White House. What wow, we're getting political. Yeah. Uh, it makes no difference it, at all. It, interestingly enough, that's what I was going to say. There's no correlation between politics, uh, the president, and what real estate's going to do. Now, here's here's kind of a general rule of thumb in real estate in California, since I assume this is, well, we don't know if this is a California person well, or yeah, not. She said this, or I am in the market for my first home here in California. Oh, there you go. I should listen more carefully, you should. shouldn't I? Yes. Anyway, um, so California has done really quite well. In, in fact, I just saw a, a stat, uh, and California real estate has appreciated quite a bit more than the United States, given the last 30, 40, 50 years. The average home in California is now about four hundred eighty, four hundred ninety thousand dollars, something like that. So when do you buy? You buy whenever you can afford it, and it makes sense for you to afford it. Now, will you time it perfectly? Probably not. And can real estate go down? Yes, it can go down. But whenever you buy property, you got to look at this as a long-term purchase. Right. If 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 this is something that you know, I'm going to live here in California for another couple of years, and then I'm going to move to Texas. Well, don't buy. There's no reason to buy. The cost to buy a home and to sell a home are way too expensive and you might hit the market wrong but if you're looking at a 10-year time frame yeah go ahead and buy if it, if it makes sense for you uh here's another question for you al it's my first time investing oh, a lot of first timers today yeah yeah and i'd like to know uh, whether to choose margin or cash <laughs> if it's your first time investing cash put cash into your brokerage account and buy your mutual funds stay far away from margin that's a blown wow yeah i think most people probably don't know that so at some brokerage houses depending upon the strength of the uh investor they'll actually loan you money to invest and so you can take your money and end up with some of the the brokerage houses money and then invest even more it's called leverage 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 is great joe when the market goes up because you magnify your return but when the market goes down you can actually lose more than your original principal how about that it's called a margin call yeah uh, <clears throat> so yeah, if, especially if you're first starting out, I would say even for the majority of seasoned investors, I, I don't think it's margin loans are a very good idea at all. I think it's just way too risky. It's like buying my mother a crotch rocket versus a scooter. <laughs> She's gonna a crotch rocket. Crotch rocket. You know what that is? Well, I can imagine. It's a motorcycle. <laughs> oh, oh my god! I've never heard that term. That's that's a Minnesota term. Really. I guess. You've never heard that term before? No. Crotch rocket. No. I was thinking of the guy. Deb, that... have you heard of crotch rocket? Okay, see, our producer says yes. <laughs> Whoa. All I was, think... I was thinking well, of get the... your mind out of the gutter. Right. Well, Next question, please. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, if I mind. purchase a stock, it gives me the... the... Oh, God. I can't even concentrate. You said right. it. I didn't. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's see here. Let's regroup. All right. Should I use IRA money to pay up my mortgage... To save on the interest, so I have a paid off. Um, all right, I have a paid off my home, which is worth one hundred twelve thousand dollars. I have a home equity loan on it at seven percent interest for a balance of eighty nine thousand. I'm sixty three, have three hundred thousand dollars in IRAs. I'm not making a seven percent return on my IRAs, so should I take the eighty nine thousand out of the IRA to pay off the home equity line? 
Yeah, a quick answer there is no, because you know why? If you take the money out to pay the home equity line, you got to pay tax on that. And depending upon what your other income is, that could be at a pretty high tax bracket. You might have to take out $130,000, $140,000 just to pay the tax to get the eighty nine out, maybe one fifty. So now you lost half of your IRA. Right. And then, all right, so 7% here, uh, interest on your HELOC. I mean, yeah. you might have to look at a refinance. Yeah, that's phase two of this question is is right now interest rates are closer to 4%. But the 10-year treasury is under 2 Yeah, so refinance. Now, if you, it could be, I don't know if, if you have a lot of income or not, but um, it's, so there's sometimes problems qualifying. But you can pull out some from your IRA temporarily for a month or two to create an income to get a loan and then get a much better rate. Right. So, yeah, a couple of things there. It's that, all right, I understand his logic or her logic of saying, well, man, I'm paying all this interest on this loan, 7%. I totally get that, too. And I'm not getting anywhere near 7% on my IRA. Well, a couple of things is that, A, you got to read, look at the allocation of the IRA, and then you have to take a look at the interest rate because the taxes that will come out of that retirement account is going to kill you. Yeah. You know, that's right, 90 grand. Let's say rounding to pull that out. Yeah, it probably is 140 grand to pull that out, depending upon other income. Right. So, and if they don't, maybe they don't have any other income. I mean, these are just kind of yeah, right. short questions here. Sure. But A, I would suggest take a look at refinancing to get a lower rate. And no, do not, you know, because you're going to lose half of your IRA. You're only 63 years of, you know, of age. That money needs to last you probably another 20 some odd years, right? Right. So, um, and that's going to create a retirement income stream and so on and so forth. So, no, I'm glad that you asked that question. Hopefully, we diverted a disaster there. All right, we got to take another break. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. We'll be back in just a second. Now, back to Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Hey, welcome back to the program. Show's called Your Money or Wealth. My name's Joe Anderson. I'm with Big Al Clopine. Thanks for tuning in. Um, Alan, question for you here. How does the IRS want me to report the RMD, the required minimum distribution, I receive from a small, non-spousal, inherited traditional IRA? Um, all right. So you will get a 1099-R or should get a 1099-R that will show you the amount that was withdrawn from that IRA. And that goes on line 15A on your tax return. It goes under the IRA line. So it shows up as generally fully taxable unless the inherited IRA that you uh, inherited actually had a little bit of tax basis in. And that's that you'd have to probably go back to the person that uh, you inherited from, look at their final tax return, see if there was a Form 8606. Now I'm getting really complicated and technical. But chances are uh, all that money is taxable. It goes on line uh, 15A and 15B. Because they were thinking, aside from my own 1040, do I need to file Separate. tax returns for the stretch IRA in the name of the decedent's trust for my benefit as well? And the answer is no. Yeah, well, correct. If there's a decedent's trust that's still around and the only thing in it is an IRA, then no, there's no trust filing requirement um, because it's an IRA and the RMD comes to you. But the, the, the it is true if there's other assets in a decedent trust that's kept alive a lot of, sometimes trusts don't terminate right they, they, well, they, that's a 1041 it's a form 1041 is right it's a trust return and so if that's your case then yes uh, you would have to file an annual return that would be for interest dividends capital gains if there are rental properties in it that that kind of stuff but because this individual is the direct beneficiary of the retirement account it doesn't necessarily go through the trust so as long as the the ira is titled correctly right 
um, then no, you just have to take the distribution based on your life expectancy. Correct. And then that's your income, so you just file that on your tax return. Correct. That's right. All right. Okay, so i got a, a couple other tax questions for you. Buddy. Okay, good. All right. Can I deduct my IRA contribution if I don't have an employer plan? I'm single, and my income is over seventy grand. Uh, the answer is yes. Uh, if you do have an employee plan, you have, you fall under the IRA um, income limitation rules, uh, which uh, let's see, I thought I had at my fingertips here, but now I'm having trouble. Here it is. So, and this is actually 2016 numbers. So, if you're talking about a 2015 IRA, it's, I think it's a thousand dollars less. And uh, so, if you are covered by a plan, the deductible IRA phases out uh, at sixty-one thousand income to seventy-one. To 71. Okay, but you said you don't have a retirement plan, so there are no limits. So you can deduct that. And the only caveat there is you have to be uh, younger than 70 and a half, which I assume you are. How much money would you put in a Roth IRA? I am almost 24 years old with around $70,000 in savings. Wow, that's pretty oh, good for a 24-year-old. That's great. I want to transfer that money into a retirement account. What do you suggest I should do in terms of amount, type of investment, etc.? What do you think? Yeah, that's there? a great question. So let's let's assume that um, this individual works or has some kind of earned income. Mm-hmm. Okay, if, at least for 2015. Let's say they made at least ten thousand bucks or whatever, whatever they made in 2015. And so yeah, you can put five thousand five hundred dollars into a Roth IRA. You got to do that by April 18th. That's for 2015, and then you can put another fifty five hundred dollars in at the same time. That's for 2016. So you got like a week and a day to do that, at least for last year. So yeah, you could get what eleven thousand dollars into a Roth IRA where all future growth will be tax free for the rest of your life. At 24, that's a that's a big big deal. That's cool. So and Joe, how would you say it should be invested? Well, I mean, 24. Well, I guess let, let, let's take this a, a, a step further, too. Um, is that all right? Well, you got some money in cash, and it depends on what the goals are, right? You got to look at, well, what is it for? Is it for your retirement? Is it for a new car? Is it for a home? I mean, what, what's the money for? Right? Yeah, sure. So if you're looking at purchasing a home in the next couple of years, just keep it in cash, don't invest it. Yeah. Um, or if you're looking to say, hey, I want this to grow long term for my overall retirement, now we're talking about a totally different strategy. And I think you got to go with the rule of thumb of, of savings first. Rule of thumb of savings is putting your 401k to the match. Right. If, if you have one. If you have one. So sure. let's say you have a 401k plan with a match, you do that first. You put your 401k plan to the match. And then after that, you go Roth IRA. So you go $5,500 to the Roth. Then go back to the 401k plan, max that thing out to 18000 But if, let's say, he or she only makes 25000 bucks, Right. Right? Well, that's fine. Take the whole paycheck, sock it away, because you have the $74,000 that you can potentially live off of. Right. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Joe, because this there, this is kind of why it needs to be a little bit longer answer, because the truth is, what's the money for? I mean, that is the first question. And, and as long as it's not for a home or a car or something like that, if it's for your retirement, then yeah, go ahead and max that thing out. Use your employer plans, plans to your benefit. And the thing is, the only way to get money to 401k is through your salary. But there's nothing to say that you're, you can't defer all of your salary. In most cases, plans allow you to defer 100% of your salary. And then you're thinking, well, why would I do that? I need something to live off of. Well, you got $70,000 outside of retirement. And so you can't just write a check out of your savings account into retirement, except for like a Roth IRA contribution. But a 401k has to come through your payroll. Maybe you have your salary go into that, and then you live off your other money. But then you don't want to do too much of that to where you run out of money for whatever 
whatever your goals are. Right. Yeah. So that's why just take and you don't need to go through a big drawn out process here. I think you look at what is the money for, what are you trying to accomplish, and then earmark certain aspects of it. Keep so much in cash as your cash reserves as a, your safety net. Then you look, okay, well, maybe that's 25000 Maybe that's 50000 I don't know. I don't know you. So we're just giving rules of thumb. By the way, everything that we do talk about on this show is not advice. Let me repeat that. It's not advice. We're not giving advice. Right? We're just giving observations. Yeah, just thoughts on what we hear. And then, and the truth is when you get a two- or three-sentence question, you don't know near enough to <laughs> answer it properly. But you can give some trains of thought, right, right. that, that will, will get people thinking, I guess. So, yeah, you say, all right, well, here, let's keep this in cash, take the other, and then you can start doing different things in cooler. You can have fun with it a little bit. You can manipulate your, your tax return. I hate saying that, but I don't know another way to say it. Because if I'm maxing out my 401k plan, to eighteen thousand dollars, but I only make twenty four thousand bucks. Right? It was like, well, how do you do that? How do you live? Well, because you have seventy five thousand dollars in cash that you could live off of. Yeah, and you know, furthermore, if you're making only twenty four thousand, you're in a really low tax bracket. So you might as well use the Roth provision of your four hundred one k if you have if, it. If right. you have it, right? Yeah, because in other words, the tax deduction isn't really that important for you. And it's probably, and I hate rules of thumb, Joe, just like you, but I would say for a lot of 20-year-olds that are just getting started and able to put some money into retirement, the Roth is a great way to go because you're in a lower tax deduction. The ta- the, a regular IRA or regular 401k isn't going to help you that much because you're in a low tax bracket. You get the money into a Roth, you forego the current tax deduction, but all that money will grow the rest of your life tax-free. And you may not retire for 40 years and having all that money grow tax-free is a great thing. Hey, um, there's some bad advice out there, Alan. True. Um, because check this out. The the question you just answered, can I deduct my IRA contribution if I don't have an employer plan? I'm single and my income is over 70. Mm-hmm. This individual, um, this just this just in. Just in. Um, said, well, thank you very much because they received advice and they, the, the, the advice was no. Really? You could not. Okay, that's um, incorrect. And this is what they said. If you or your spouse do not participate in a retirement plan at work, your traditional IRA contribution is fully deductible up to the contribution limit, which is based on your income. If you are single, the maximum tax deductibility contribution phases out once your modified adjusted gross income, MAGI, we'll just call that income, exceeds $60,000 and becomes ineligible for tax deduction when your income reaches seventy. That is not true if they do not have a retirement account. That is false. I'm actually got the, the textbook cracked open here. It talks about traditional non, uh, uh, non-deductible IRAs. You can do that at any income level. Traditional deductible IRAs. If you're covered by a plan, I'll read that again, if you're covered by a plan, then there's these income limits. It phases out 98000 of income to 118000 for joint, 61000 to 71000 for single. single. And then if one spouse is covered by a plan, you got whole different numbers. The non-working spouse, or I just, no, the spouse that, that doesn't have a plan it's the phase out is 184,000 to 194,000. But if you're not in a plan, there's no phase out. There's no phase out. Zero phase out. I don't care if you make a million bucks. <laughs> you, you can, can deduct the 65 $5,500 $5, into your IRA if that's what you want to do, you can do it. So there's bad advice out there. Lacking tax planning. So Joe, because of that, it's uh, it's some of these mistakes that people are making that drive me crazy. Crazy. Because they're Drives getting, out crazy, they're getting, folks. They're getting the wrong advice. And I've been a CPA for over 30 years now, as you've said in an earlier segment. 
and it amazes me how people get this bad information, they make bad decisions, they make mistakes that cost them thousands of dollars, and it could have all been avoided. Now, sometimes people get it when they make these mistakes, but don't let that happen to you. Find out what the knowledge that you need to know to make good decisions, because the truth is you can save more in taxes than you think, but you must use a forward-looking tax-efficient strategy. All right, we'll be back in just a second. Show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. This is Your Money, Your Wealth on Talk Radio 760 KFMB. Uh, welcome back to the program. The show's called Your Money, Your Wealth. Uh, my name's Joey Anderson. I'm a certified financial planner with Big Al Clopine. He is a CPA. Seven habits, seven successful habits, Alan, to help you reach financial independence. So a lot of this is um, simple, but not easy to implement. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. Like avoid consumer debt. Yes. Right? So don't get a car loan. That's uh, that's Pay not- cash. <laughs> What if you don't have forty grand? Right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, but I, but the concept is right. I mean, essentially, if you, I mean, I most, think you just maybe maybe this might be is just spend less than what you earn. Yeah, well, that's number three. Oh, is it? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you're skipping ahead. Oh, I didn't even read it. Well, I mean, because all right, well, people get into consumer debt because they're spending more than what they earn. True. They're spending not only more than they can earn, but more than they can really afford. True. Yes. Yes. So, yes. I mean, it, common sense, right? But, I mean, we don't really have to tell you, but consumer debt is not your friend. I mean, if you have to go into debt, make it be for something that goes up in value, like a home. Home, you, home mortgage I'm okay with, but most other kind of debt I would I would try to avoid like the plague. You know what's going on now is these a lot of parents are taking on student loans. Yes. Right? Yep. And um, now they're approaching... 65, we're seeing a lot of this coming through our office that have $100,000 student loan debt for their kids. Right. And um, that's going to be a challenge for a lot of these individuals. Yeah, Um, and we we talked about this, I think, on our TV show about the baby, my baby boomer generation really kind of, they tried to make a promise to the kids, we pay for your college. And then, but that was when colleges weren't that expensive. Well, you know why they're so expensive now, Al? You know the the inflation rate on colleges over the last 10 years? 7%. Yeah, higher than that. And the reason for that is that some of these loans are pretty easy to get. Right. And so there's a lot of- they're charging what they can get. There's a lot of people that have money and they're like, all right, well, here, let's go to school. Yeah. Right. And then so there's more and more students that are going to school where because they have the loans. Right. So there's gonna have to be a shift here at some point. And 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 I people like Dave Ramsey talk about having kids have more responsibility, which I agree with. Have them pay some of it. I mean it actually means more to them if they're contributing. And maybe I know a lot of kids don't want to think about this, but maybe you do go to junior college for a couple of years, it's a lot cheaper, and then you go to a four year college after that. There's there's ways to keep the cost down. Certainly trying to stay in state is another way to do it. Get a scholarship, that's another way. But Joe, the problem as you mentioned is we're seeing sixty five year olds with Hundreds of thousands of dollars of student loan, student debt, loan debt that they promised their kids they'd pay. Right, and it's like okay, and they, well, and they can't afford it. Right, and it's like I, I want to retire. Uh, okay, well here you you have a eighteen hundred dollar a month loan payment, and that's not your mortgage. Right, right, it's a student loan, and so and, I, right. and, and I've seen other parents uh, in my neighborhood. In fact, they took out home equity loans to pay for college. Sure. So, you know, it's maybe a lower interest rate, yeah, or maybe, deductible. maybe tax deductible. Maybe I think that might be a better way to go. But then the student loan debt, you, you still have to pay it. Still off. have to pay it back, right? Or you can sell your house and move. You know, um, but tra- trailer park. Yeah, right. It's, and, and we're seeing more and more of this. And so it's just taking a look. And I and I understand that. Yeah, you want to take care of the kids and get them to a higher education. But Al and I, right? We we run a business, and 
Alan, how many people do you think you know we interview um, over a course of a year? Quite a bit, right? Oh boy, yeah, the, probably it's in the thousands. You know, we, yeah. So, well, no, not um, people for a job for pure financial advisors. Oh, oh, we're from, employers for employers. Yeah, probably at least what? one week, I'd say on yeah, average. You know, yeah. I would say yeah, hundred maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how often would you select someone that went to? A school that cost fifty thousand a year versus twenty thousand a year, yeah, or ten thousand. I, I don't pay any attention to it. I mean, whether it's USC or San Diego State, I don't care. Right, right. It's it's not necessarily the school. It's what they have done. It's, right after they got their degree. It's, it's. I mean, you want to see the degree, right? I mean, that's really important. But then it's you want to see what they've done with it. I mean, I honestly think there may be some firms in on Wall Street that require certain pedigree, but. Uh, California is really not that way. I, I really don't. I have not seen it very often in my entire career that it mattered at all which college you went to. As long as you went to college, you got a degree, and you applied yourself. I went to the best college, I think, in the United States. Yeah, University of Florida. University of Florida Gators. Go Gators. <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely not Ivy League. Right. Well, well, that's why you're in California. Yeah, I'm doing all you right. You doing all right. Couldn't make it on Wall Street. <laughs> you're right. I would never want to go to Wall Street. <laughs> all right. So we, we said avoid. Okay. Yes. All right. And we said spend less than you earn, right? That's kind of obvious. Easier said than done. And and so, you know what I see, Joe, and this comes from being a tax guy for years, is when you have a steady paycheck, it's easier to do that. But when you're self-employed and the business fluctuates, it's very difficult. And I've seen a lot of self-employed people end up getting into trouble because they, you know, they were kind of going along at a certain rate, and but then they didn't have the same income, and it's hard to lower that lifestyle, and they end up. Uh, they end up uh, borrowing on credit cards. They end up behind on their taxes, and that's so common. What? Um, yeah, I mean, again, like I said before, this is simple but not easy to implement because life gets in the way, right? Yeah. Um, what was number two here? Ignore the Joneses. Yeah, yeah. I don't care about the Joneses. What's your your, your neighbor walking around in the bathroom? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm definitely ignoring the Joneses. Really, you don't care what he thinks, do you? <laughs> no, I don't. How old is he? I don't know. Never met the man. Okay. He's just driving. I went to the gym early Friday morning, and then I drive back to go shower, and then this yeah, this man is wandering around in his driveway Maybe. with a bathrobe. He's looking for his paper. He's like 80 years old. It's I guarantee you, he's looking for his paper. I was like, and I just moved into the neighborhood. Yeah. Should I be like, oh, my God. It's Do okay to walk around in your bathroom. So just wait till this weekend. <laughs> when I get home, boom, bathrobe. So you drive up with this nice car, <laughs> and there's this guy in the bathrobe. I guess I don't care what he thinks. Yeah. Well, so I'm wearing my bathrobe just all over the neighborhood. I guess that's, that's protocol. That's okay. I don't have a bathrobe though. I'm gonna go pick one out. Yeah, you need one because uh, you live in suburbia now. Yes. <laughs> Not for long. <laughs> Um, number four, pay yourself first. That's key. I think yeah, that is I, very, very important. That's the best one here so far. Right? Yeah. What, what does that mean, Joe? Well, this is U.S. News World Report, and they came up with seven habits of how to help uh, you reach financial independence. Um, pay yourself first is that you want to pay yourself before you pay your bills and you pay for food and everything else. Because we always find a way to potentially spend less if we don't have more. 
right? right? Or I guess another way to say that is as our paycheck grows, we tend to spend more. Yeah, and have have you ever had this feeling, uh, as this happened to you, which is it's like, you have okay, I'm going to go ahead and, whatever's left over at month end, I'm going to save yeah, that. right. And guess what? Nothing is ever left <laughs> no, over. Never, <laughs> ever. So you pay yourself first, and probably the best way to do it is do it automatically, like with a 401k, 401k yes. if your company has it, so it comes out of your paycheck, you don't even see it. That's really the best way to do it. Now, if you don't have a 401k, maybe you get yourself up on an automatic withdrawal from your checking account into an IRA or Roth IRA, so at least you don't even have to think about it. Right. Yeah, That's because if you do it last, the likelihood of you doing it at all um, is is unlikely in most cases. Yeah, Not at all. Not at all, but here's the tendency, which is you're in your 20s, and well, I don't need to save now because I don't really make that much, and I got to get the car, and then you get to your 30s, and you get the kids, and the house, and then 40s college, and it's like, it's always, I'm not, there's something standing in the way that the truth is, if you pay yourself first, it never even comes up. Right. You know, it's it's funny, um, and how you ask certain questions, I know I've said this a few times. Uh, but I find it interesting how the brain works is looking at, all right, well, here, do you think that you can save 20% of your income? Right? And a lot of people, man, 20% of my income. No, I don't think so. Right? Because the average savings rate is probably six. Right? Yeah, 20% right. is that's a lot. Like China, you know what China's savings rate is? It's like 50. Is it? Yeah, no, that's why they're buying all our property here. That. That's why the Hotel Dell is now owned by a Chinese company. <laughs> Got it. Um, but you're l- looking at, all right, well, then, then you ask it another way. Do you think you can live off of 80% of your income? Oh, well, yeah, I could probably make that do. Well, it's the same thing. It is the you same You know, it's thing. the same thing. So pay yourself first is key. And um, guess what? We just blew up that clock there, Big Al. We did. So, we didn't have time for the other, all four, right. other three. <laughs> so, all right, we got to take a break. Um, when we get back, we're going to talk more of um, some really boring stuff about your personal finances that you probably already know, but we're going to repeat it anyway. Show us called Your Money, Your Wealth. 